Section 1 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1901 through 1908. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 1. Theodore Roosevelt. December 3, 1901. Part 1. To the Senate and House of Representatives. The Congress assembles this year under the shadow of a great calamity. On the 6th of September, President McKinley was shot by an anarchist while attending the Pan-American Exposition at Buffalo, and died in that city on the 14th of that month. Of the last seven elected presidents, he is the third who has been murdered, and the bare recital of this fact is sufficient to justify grave alarm among all loyal American citizens moreover the circumstances of this the third assassination of an american president have a peculiarly sinister significance both president lincoln and president garfield were killed by assassins of types unfortunately not uncommon in history president lincoln falling a victim to the terrible passions aroused by four years of civil war and president garfield to the revengeful vanity of a disappointed office seeker President McKinley was killed by an utterly depraved criminal belonging to that body of criminals who object to all governments, good and bad alike, who are against any form of popular liberty if it is guaranteed by even the most just and liberal laws, and who are as hostile to the upright exponent of a free people's sober will as to the tyrannical and irresponsible despot. It is not too much to say that at the time of President McKinley's death, he was the most widely loved man in all the United States, while we have never had any public man of his position who has been so wholly free from the bitter animosities incident to public life. His political opponents were the first to bear the heartiest and most generous tribute to the broad kindliness of nature, the sweetness and gentleness of character, which so endeared him to his close associates. To a standard of lofty integrity in public life, he united the tender affections and home virtues which are all important in the make-up of national character. A gallant soldier in the great war for the Union, he also shone as an example to all our people because of his conduct in the most sacred and intimate of home relations. There could be no personal hatred of him, for he never acted with aught but consideration for the welfare of others no one could fail to respect him who knew him in public or private life the defenders of those murderous criminals who seek to excuse their criminality by asserting that it is exercised for political ends inveigh against wealth and irresponsible power but for this assassination even this base apology cannot be urged president mckinley was a man of moderate means a man whose stock sprang from the sturdy tillers of the soil who had himself belonged among the wage workers, who had entered the army as a private soldier. Wealth was not struck at when the president was assassinated, but the honest toil which is content with moderate gains after a lifetime of unremitting labor, largely in the service of the public. Still less was power struck at in the sense that power is irresponsible or centered in the hands of any one individual. The blow was not aimed at tyranny or wealth, was aimed at one of the strongest champions the wage worker has ever had and at one of the most faithful representatives of the system of public rights and representative government 
who has ever risen to public office president mckinley fulfilled that political office for which the entire people vote and no people not even lincoln himself was ever more earnestly anxious to represent the well-thought-out wishes of the people his one anxiety in every crisis was to keep in closest touch with the people to find out what they thought and to endeavor to give expression to their thought after having endeavored to guide that thought aright he had just been re-elected to the presidency because the majority of our citizens the majority of our farmers and wage workers believed that he had faithfully upheld their interests for four years they felt themselves in close and intimate touch with him they felt that he represented so well and so honorably all their ideals and aspirations that they wished him to continue for another four years to represent them and this was the man at whom the assassin struck that there might be nothing lacking to complete the judas-like infamy of his act he took advantage of an occasion when the president was meeting the people generally and advancing as if to take the hand outstretched to him in kindly and brotherly fellowship he turned the noble and generous confidence of the victim into an opportunity to strike the fatal blow there is no baser deed in all the annals of crime the shock the grief of the country are bitter in the minds of all who saw the dark days while the president yet hovered between life and death at last the light was stilled in the kindly eyes and the breath went from the lips that even in mortal agony uttered no words save of forgiveness to his murderer of love for his friends and of unfaltering trust in the will of the most high such a death crowning the glory of such a life leaves us with infinite sorrow but with such pride in what he had accomplished and in his own personal character that we feel the blow not as struck at him but as struck at the nation we mourn a good and great president who is dead but while we mourn we are lifted up by the splendid achievements of his life and the grand heroism with which he met his death when we turn from the man to the nation the harm done is so great as to excite our gravest apprehensions and to demand our wisest and most resolute action this criminal was a professed anarchist inflamed by the teachings of professed anarchists and probably also by the reckless utterances of those who on the stump and in the public press appeal to the dark and evil spirits of malice and greed envy and sullen hatred the wind is sowed by the men who preach such doctrines and they cannot escape their share of responsibility for the whirlwind that is reaped this applies alike to the deliberate demagogue to the exploiter of sensationalism and to the crude and foolish visionary who for whatever reason apologizes for crime or excites aimless discontent the blow was aimed not at this president but at all presidents at every symbol of government president mckinley was as emphatically the embodiment of the popular will of the nation expressed through the forms of law as a new england town meeting is in similar fashion the embodiment of the law-abiding purpose and practice of the people of the town on no conceivable theory could the murder of the president be accepted as due to protest against inequalities in the social order save as the murder of all the freemen engaged in a town meeting could be accepted as a protest against that social inequality which puts a malefactor in jail anarchy is no more an expression of social discontent than picking pockets or wife-beating the anarchist and especially the anarchist in the united states is merely one type of criminal more dangerous than any other because he represents 
the same depravity in a greater degree the man who advocates anarchy directly or indirectly in any shape or fashion or the man who apologizes for anarchists and their deeds makes himself morally accessory to murder before the fact the anarchist is a criminal whose perverted instincts lead him to prefer confusion and chaos to the most beneficent form of social order his protest of concern for workingmen is outrageous in its impudent falsity for if the political institutions of this country do not afford opportunity to every honest and intelligent son of toil then the door of hope is forever closed against him the anarchist is everywhere not merely the enemy of system and of progress but the deadly foe of liberty if ever anarchy is triumphant its triumph will last but for one red moment to be seceded for ages by the gloomy night of despotism for the anarchist himself whether he preaches or practices his doctrines we need not have one particle more concern than for any ordinary murderer he is not the victim of social or political injustice there are no wrongs to remedy in his case the cause of his criminality is to be found in his own evil passions and in the evil conduct of those who urge him on not in any failure by others or by the state to do justice to him or his he is a malefactor and nothing else he is in no sense in no shape or way a product of social conditions save as a highwayman is produced by the fact that an unarmed man happens to have a purse it is a travesty upon the great and holy names of liberty and freedom to permit them to be invoked in such a cause no man or body of men preaching anarchistic doctrines should be allowed at large any more than if preaching the murder of some specified private individual anarchistic speeches writings and meetings are essentially seditious and treasonable i earnestly recommend to the congress that in the exercise of its wise discretion it should take into consideration the coming to this country of anarchists or persons professing principles hostile to all government and justify the murder of those placed in authority such individuals as those who are not long gathered in open meeting to glorify the murder of king humbert of italy perpetrate a crime and the law should ensure their rigorous punishment they and those like them should be kept out of this country and if found here they should be promptly deported to the country whence they came and far-reaching provision should be made for the punishment of those who stay no matter calls more urgently for the wisest thought of the congress the federal courts should be given jurisdiction over any man who kills or attempts to kill the president or any man who by the constitution or by law is in line of secession for the presidency while the punishment for an unsuccessful attempt should be proportioned to the enormity of the offence against our institutions anarchy is a crime against the whole human race and all mankind should band against the anarchist his crime should be made an offence against the law of nations like piracy and that form of man-stealing known as the slave trade for it is of far blacker infamy than either it should be so declared by treaties among all civilized powers such treaties would give to the federal government the power of dealing with the crime a grim commentary upon the folly of the anarchist position was afforded by the attitude of the law toward this very criminal who had just taken the life of the president the people would have torn him limb from limb if it had not been that the law he defied was at once invoked in his behalf 
so far from his deed being committed on behalf of the people against the government the government was obliged at once to exert its full police power to save him from instant death at the hands of the people moreover his deed worked not the slightest dislocation in our governmental system and the danger of a recurrence of such deeds no matter how great it might grow would work only in the direction of strengthening and giving harshness to the forces of order no man will ever be restrained from becoming president by any fear as to his personal safety if the risk to the president's life became great it would mean that the office would more and more come to be filled by men of a spirit who would make them resolute and merciless in dealing with every friend of disorder this great country will not fall into anarchy and if anarchists should ever become a serious menace to its institutions they would not merely be stamped out but would involve in their own ruin every active or passive sympathizer with their doctrines the american people are slow to wrath but when their wrath is once kindled it burns like a consuming flame during the last five years business confidence has been restored and the nation is to be congratulated because of its present abounding prosperity such prosperity can never be created by law alone although it is easy enough to destroy it by mischievous laws if the hand of the lord is heavy upon any country if flood or drought comes human wisdom is powerless to avert the calamity moreover no law can guard us against the consequences of our own folly the men who are idle or credulous the men who seek gains not by genuine work with head or hand but by gambling in a new form are always a source of menace not only to themselves but to others if the business world loses its head it loses what legislation cannot supply fundamentally the welfare of each citizen and therefore the welfare of the aggregate of citizens which makes the nation must rest upon individual thrift and energy resolution and intelligence nothing can take the place of this individual capacity but wise legislation and honest and intelligent administration can give it the fullest scope the largest opportunity to work to good effect the tremendous and highly complex industrial development which went on with ever accelerated rapidity during the latter half of the nineteenth century brings us face to face at the beginning of the twentieth with very serious social problems the old laws and the old customs which had almost the binding force of law were once quite sufficient to regulate the accumulation and distribution of wealth since the industrial changes which have so enormously increased the productive power of mankind they are no longer sufficient the growth of cities has gone on beyond comparison faster than the growth of the country and the upbuilding of the great industrial centers has meant a startling increase not merely in the aggregate of wealth but in the number of very large individual and especially of very large corporate fortunes the creation of these great corporate fortunes has not been due to the tariff nor to any other governmental action but to natural causes in the business world operating in other countries as they operate in our own the process has aroused much antagonism a great part of which is wholly without warrant it is not true that as the rich have grown richer the poor have grown poorer on the contrary never before has the average man the wage worker the farmer the small trader been so well off in this country and at the present time there have been abuses connected with the accumulation of wealth 
yet it remains true that a fortune accumulated in legitimate business can be accumulated by the person specially benefited only on condition of conferring immense incidental benefits upon others successful enterprise of the type which benefits all mankind can only exist if the conditions are such as to offer great prizes as the rewards of success the captains of industry who have driven the railway systems across this continent who have built up our commerce who have developed our manufactures have on the whole done great good to our people without them the material development of which we are so justly proud could never have taken place moreover we should recognize the immense importance of this material development of leaving as unhampered as is compatible with the public good the strong and forceful men upon whom the success of business operations inevitably rests the slightest study of business conditions will satisfy anyone capable of forming a judgment that the personal equation is the most important factor in a business operation that the business ability of the man at the head of any business concern big or little is usually the factor which fixes the gulf between striking success and hopeless failure an additional reason for caution in dealing with corporations is to be found in the international commercial conditions of today the same business conditions which have produced the great aggregations of corporate and individual wealth have made them very potent factors in international commercial competition business concerns which have the largest means at their disposal and are managed by the ablest men are naturally those which take the lead in the strife for commercial supremacy among the nations of the world america has only just begun to assume that commanding position in the international business world which we believe will more and more be hers it is of the utmost importance that this position be not jeoparded especially at a time when the overflowing abundance of our natural resources and the skill business energy and mechanical aptitude of our people make foreign markets essential under such conditions it would be most unwise to cramp or to fetter the youthful strength of our nation moreover it cannot too often be pointed out that to strike with ignorant violence at the interests of one set of men almost inevitably endangers the interests of all the fundamental rule in our national life the rule which underlies all others is that on the whole and in the long run we shall go up or down together there are exceptions and in times of prosperity some will prosper far more and in times of adversity some will suffer far more than others but speaking generally a period of good times means that all share more or less in them and in a period of hard times all feel the stress to a greater or less degree it surely ought not to be necessary to enter into any proof of this statement the memory of the lean years which began in eighteen ninety three is still vivid and we can contrast them with the conditions in this very year which is now closing disaster to great business enterprises can never have its effects limited to the men at the top it spreads throughout and while it is bad for everybody it is worst for those farthest down the capitalist may be shorn of his luxuries but the wage worker may be deprived of even bare necessities the mechanism of modern business is so delicate that extreme care must be taken not to interfere with it in a spirit of rashness or ignorance many of those who have made it their vocation to denounce the great industrial combinations which are popularly although with technical inaccuracy known as trusts 
appeal especially to hatred and fear these are precisely the two emotions particularly when combined with ignorance which unfit men for the exercise of cool and steady judgment in facing new industrial conditions the whole history of the world shows that legislation will generally be both unwise and ineffective unless undertaken after calm inquiry and with sober self-restraint much of the legislation directed at the trusts would have been exceedingly mischievous had it not also been entirely ineffective in accordance with a well-known sociological law the ignorant or reckless agitator has been the really effective friend of the evils which he has been nominally opposing in dealing with business interests for the government to undertake by crude and ill-considered legislation to do what may turn out to be bad would be to incur the risk of such far-reaching national disaster that it would be preferable to undertake nothing at all the men who demand the impossible or the undesirable serve as the allies of the forces with which they are nominally at war for they hamper those who would endeavor to find out in rational fashion what the wrongs really are and to what extent and to what manner it is practicable to apply remedies all this is true and yet it is also true that there are real and grave evils one of the chief being over-capitalization because of its many baleful consequences and a resolute and practical effort must be made to correct these evils there is a widespread conviction in the minds of the american people that the great corporations known as trusts are uncertain of their features and tendencies hurtful to the general welfare this springs from no spirit of envy or uncharitableness nor lack of pride in the great industrial achievements that have placed this country at the head of the nation struggling for commercial supremacy it does not rest upon a lack of intelligent appreciation of the necessity of meeting changing and changed conditions of trade with new methods nor upon ignorance of the fact that combination of capital in the effort to accomplish great things is necessary when the world's progress demands that great things be done it is based upon sincere conviction that combination and concentration should be not prohibited but supervised and within reasonable limits controlled and in my judgment this conviction is right it is no limitation upon property rights or freedom of contract to require that when men receive from government the privilege of doing business under corporate form which frees them from individual responsibility and enables them to call into their enterprises the capital of the public they shall do so upon absolutely truthful representations as to the value of the property in which the capital is to be invested corporations engaged in interstate commerce should be regulated if they are found to exercise a license working to the public injury it should be as much the aim of those who seek for social betterment to rid the business world of crimes of cunning as to rid the entire body politic of crimes of violence great corporations exist because they are created and safeguarded by our institutions and it is therefore our right and our duty to see that they work in harmony with these institutions the first essential in determining how to deal with the great industrial combinations is knowledge of the facts publicity in the interest of the public the government should have the right to inspect and examine the workings of the great corporations engaged in interstate business publicity is the only sure remedy which we can now invoke what further remedies are needed in the way of governmental regulation or taxation 
can only be determined after publicity has been obtained by process of law and in the course of administration the first requisite is knowledge full and complete knowledge which may be made public to the world artificial bodies such as corporations and joint stock or other associations depending upon any statutory law for their existence or privileges should be subject to proper governmental supervision and full and accurate information as to their operations should be made public regularly at reasonable intervals the large corporations commonly called trusts though organized in one state always do business in many states often doing very little business in the state where they are incorporated there is utter lack of uniformity in the state laws about them and as no state has any exclusive interest in or power over their acts it has in practice proved impossible to get adequate regulation through state action therefore in the interest of the whole people the nation should without interfering with the power of the states and the matter itself also assume power of supervision and regulation over all corporations doing an interstate business this is especially true where the corporation derives a portion of its wealth from the existence of some monopolistic element or tendency in its business there would be no hardship in such supervision banks are subject to it and in their case it is now accepted as a simple matter of course indeed it is probable that supervision of corporations by the national government need not go so far as is now the case with the supervision exercised over them by so conservative a state as massachusetts in order to produce excellent results when the constitution was adopted at the end of the eighteenth century no human wisdom could foretell the sweeping changes alike in industrial and political conditions which were to take place by the beginning of the twentieth century at that time it was accepted as a matter of course that the several states were the proper authorities to regulate so far as was then necessary the comparatively insignificant and strictly localized corporate bodies of the day the conditions are now wholly different and wholly different action is called for i believe that a law can be framed which will enable the national government to exercise control along the lines above indicated profiting by the experience gained through the passage and administration of the interstate commerce act if however the judgment of the congress is that it lacks the constitutional power to pass such an act then a constitutional amendment should be submitted to confer the power end of section one